Hello, everyone. Indeed, welcome to part four of Metanorn's look back at Katanagatari. If you're just joining us, this is a series of podcasts we're doing about the show from 2010, which is re airing this season on Noitamina. Today, we'll be talking about episodes seven and eight.、Uh, I'm your host, Min, and I'm joined by J Ro. Hello. And today, we have two special guests. First, you'll remember Natasha, who joined us a couple weeks back、uh, for episodes three and four. Hey again. And we also have Patches, who writes for the Untold Story of Alter and Vega, as well as a Tumblr of his called What About the Waifus? Hello. Hey. So,、um, yeah, welcome back, Natasha, and、uh, thank you for joining us, Patches.、Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, today we're again talking about episodes seven and eight. I think this is kind of funny actually because Natasha, you joined us for episodes three and four, and I commented then that a lot of people consider episodes three and four or three to be like a turning point for this series when it started getting good. For me, that was episode seven actually.、Um, episode seven, there's I guess a lot to、uh, kind of that happens there.、Um, I guess why don't we start from the beginning? In the、uh, cold open, we see、uh, Nanami in this kind of Black and white shot、uh, where she is stealing the seventh、uh, Deviant Blade, which is,、uh, turns out to be the Akuto Bita, which is a very small dagger like、mm-hmm. weapon.、Uh, apparently, its ability is to、uh, rejuvenate the user's body. They also comment that it's the most evil of the Deviant Blades. Yeah, that, I thought that was a really、uh, just an interesting opening where you see this field full of dead people. And at times you see what appears to be Nanami's view, which is that they're all just pieces of grass lying around. Isn't it also and, in black and white? Yes, yes. yeah, it is. It, which I, is super striking given how, how vibrantly colored the rest of the show is. In fact, I think the only thing that is colored are the bloodstains, the,、yes. yeah. the red blood.、Um, so it definitely makes for a very dramatic opening. You know things are going to get real. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna, I'm gonna, I have all kinds of things. Min, or sorry, Livlin、um, was already.、Uh, call me Min, please. Min was already to bow out of this, but I have a bunch of things I want to say about this in relation to the other Gatari shows.、Um, and this is one of the first places where I can pick on it is that we'll get to it again when we, when we get to the sort of backstory about her telling her story. Is that for all, this is my second Nisio Isin show. That I'd watch, and I probably for most people, because most people probably have Bakamonogatari first. And this was one of the times when I w- it was pretty clear that, like, whoever was directing the show had watched Bakamonogatari and was just sort of making fun of Shimbo. Really?、Um, could you go on? Well, so the, I watched, so I picked up Katanagatari 
during its original airing run because of its immediately striking visuals. Like I saw the in the chart and I was like, this doesn't look like anything I've ever seen. Great. What I found really, really amazing about this show was that Bakemonogatari is very visually busy in the way of all Shinbo shows. But I remember if you think about the Mayoi snail arc and how he shows all of these sort of scene, you see a lot of scenes of things and a lot of repeated imagery. And he sort of tries to tease out the meaning of uh, Nisio Eason's words through his sort of iterative visuals. And this show is just trying to tell a fairy tale, but it does it using, it squeezes every possible visual sort of and style bit out of it at every possible opportunity. So the fact, again, that you had all this vibrant color and he's just gotten rid of it. Um, and then again, the, the little bit that we'll get to in a second indicates that, that this director was just as equal to sort of a, embrace the fantastic, but didn't really feel the need to run to it at every moment. Hmm. Okay. Um, you know, kind of going off that, I, I guess, it's funny that you say they're making fun of Shinbo or referencing him in some way, because that's actually a connection I didn't really make, but it makes so much sense to me when you say that when I think of this episode, because it does so many strange or right. odd things visually so you know besides the black and white with the color of red uh in the cold open which um i mean i guess that's also kind of calling back something like schindler's list right with the right. Uh, black and white with one color but um also like the uh, scene immediately following this shows uh nanami attacking another shrine but it's shown from like the side as if it's a video game and she's mm -hmm. attacking these enemies in this repeated motion kind of just walking along the uh, ground while i mean her ghosts of her parents are up you know kind of taunting her and then there's another view where it shows her from above and it kind of looks like a bullet hell game where yeah. she's <laughs> yeah. attacking everyone and there's even a boss um, just gets behind them and just spams her her attack yep Right. And um, I, sorry, one more thing I do want to mention is that um, there's another scene where Togame and uh, Shichika get on a boat and go to uh, find whoever stole the sword before they know that it's Nanami. And they run into Emon Zaimon. And that whole scene is looks like a visual novel where the characters are facing straight at the camera. It's not a um, it's not shot like a traditional show at all. It's I'm actually reminded of Muramasa in that scene because they because they scroll sideways and the characters appear in front of them. So it's sorry, like do you mean do you mean Muramasa the Demon Blade? Yes, the, uh, Muramasa uh, Demon Blade. Sorry, okay. Odin Sphere. Yeah, I I was actually gonna say Odin Sphere, but yeah, they're this yeah same kind of visual, same company. So uh, yeah. the one thing I really enjoyed in terms of visual style was the fact that episode seven is uh, kind of distinctive because it has a completely different art style. I'm not really sure what the reason was. I mean, I heard I heard hear, um, people say that it was because of budget, but either way, I think the change in the style—it's um, the, the lines drawn are kind of thicker, um, they're more flat. I think, but I, I did enjoy that change, and I do like how Episode Seven utilizes so many different types of. Uh, visual styles, like you've explained, um, the kind of video game illusions, especially in the lost fight between Shichika and Nanami, how that's kind of done. It's just... It's, yeah, don't they do a health bars thing at the very end, too? I actually don't remember I, a health bar. 
I feel like there was, or maybe I'm reimagining. I'm really tempted to get up and get my discs and play the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I do remember thinking it looks a lot like a 2D fighter when they're just right. jumping up in the air and like, uh, also kind of looks like Dragon Ball. And the oh, stage definitely. changes like it's it's like it looks like the last fight in like a Street Fighter game. Cause, it like, really the does. The whole stage sets on fire and there's like three rounds like. The video game metaphors, the video game metaphors are sort of super strong. And again, since it's Easton, like it's, it'll be interesting to tease out with you guys. I didn't think really hard about it, but I probably should have thought a little harder about how what is asked of Shichika to power up is so obviously a sort of shonen thing, and the show is so aware of all of its tropes. That obviously something else was going on there, and for the life of me, like I didn't pay attention because the rest of the episode is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, let's talk about what happens in this episode. Besides, well, we we covered basically like the first five minutes where Nanami um, takes the Gakutobita, and actually we see it kind of dive right into a duel between Nanami and Shichika, where. Basically, Nanami wipes the floor with Shichika. She kind of makes fun of him. <laughs> and actually, she seems like pretty disappointed in him. What's happened to him over these six months that they haven't seen each other? Yeah, she even makes the remark that he's become more blunt. That, you know, she, would ex- she had expected a lot more from him because uh, she, she thought he would become better blade throughout his travels. And ironically, I think in, in some aspects, which the end of episode seven deals with, uh, he has become a better blade, just not in the way she imagined him to be. Um, of course, that has to deal with uh, Nanami helping Shishia become more of a human being than uh, just a tool um, that's used to slay enemies so he can form his own conscious and make decisions for himself individually. Which kind of comes back and bites a little bit of uh, Nanami in in the final uh, battle. But I do like that kind of contrast where Nanami kind of determines people's worth based on how good they are at fighting. Whereas Togame kind of sees the people based on, you know, how they use their abilities or why they use their abilities. Um, And, you know, the human side of them, I guess. Even though she is very merciless, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, I would, I would 110% agree with that. You were, you were gonna say something, man? No, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. One of the things that's revealed during this duel is that she is using the Akutobita to basically fight or get rid of her one weakness, which is her body is not able to stand withstand too much strength, or she has a weak body, and Akutobita keeps rejuvenating her. And we see that she basically dug a hole in her chest and the sword is just lying in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I found that a bit grotesque, even. <laughs> just the fact that, you know, instead of using your sword on others, you use it on yourself. And you have to literally pierce yourself in order for it to work. Um, I mean, she literally just sticks it right in her chest and she has no you know, complaints about it. Remember... But, uh, it's also interesting to realize that this is a sword that is that could be used for so much good that it that it, it is overflowing with healing energy and yet Anatomy has turned it into the ultimate killing weapon by oh, by, yeah. by using it to complete her. Only it doesn't, actually. Um, that's the other that's the other thing that's really interesting. Remember at the very end, 
So what we learn is so what we learn to sort of continue on in sort of the theme of telling the story is that after I think she wipes the floor with him the first time, or is it during their first discussion when she sort of explains her personal history? Yeah, uh, her personal what, sir? She goes back and she sort of says, "Okay, they were banished. The father, you know." Father. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that was, was that was actually in between the two duels. She talks with Togame like alone right. while they're preparing for the next fight. Yeah, right, right before uh, Togame uh, challenges um, Nanami to a fight with Shishka, um, I think it's it's that time when she discusses about how their family history has never really been the most peaceful, and just how this kind of killing siblings um, and family tragedy has been going on for ages. And then yeah. Nanami, we learn that Nanami is some kind of a crazy, insane monster who doesn't need to learn, who doesn't need to... I mean, we learned that already when we saw her kill the, the dude, the, the uh, Maniwani in episode four. We also learned that she sort of steals the um, Kyoto Ryu in that sort of vignette. Um, and what's interesting about this is that we learn at the end of the episode that, is that Nanami has pre- been pretending to be someone all of her life, which is a fascinating little wrinkle on her. Yeah, she's she's a fascinating character. Um, definitely, I think um, I think I talked about in the last podcast about how enthralled I was with her arc. But it's really episode seven where we really see that come into full circle when Nanami kind of realizes what she was, what she is, and uh, her faults in a way. I mean, when she fights with Shishika, almost looks down at him. She also, I mean, she, um, Kagame and Shichika come up with the plan to kind of use Nanami's eyes against her by making the room dark. And that works to an extent, but, you know, she, she just wants, you realize this desire that she wants to die. Um, and I think I mentioned back in the earlier podcast where I talked about how Nanami was kind of in this void. Um, she, she was too powerful, but her body was weak. And she attempted to use the um, Octobita as a kind of way of fulfilling or completing herself, as Patches says. But um, even that doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because she uses the art of Kyoto. Um, and that kind of turns out to be her downfall in the end, um, which I thought was fascinating because in the end, that was the first ability she ever learned how to use was were those abilities. And it's tragic, but it's just it's endlessly fascinating at the same well, time. No, actually remember at the very, very end she rejects Kyoto Ryu completely too. Which is huh. really super super poetic. So Wait, so so let's back up a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> so sorry, yeah, the uh, I, I love first of all, I love this the way this conversation's going, but uh, so in the end, of course, the uh, Togame comes up with this plan to make all 300 candles in the where they're fighting burn out at the same time, and that's what you alluded to, Natasha, right? When yes, they make everything dark, and Shichika actually does defeat her in the sense that he gets the sword out of her chest and he wins. That that's it. But Nanami says, "No, this is not over," and keeps fighting and until you know he kills her basically saying i want to die and that this is also the scene where she sends this blade wind blade at togame which ends up cutting off her hair which ends up getting lit on fire i thought that was a pretty cool scene 
Oh, that was um, a wonderful scene. <laughs> it was also amazing to notice yeah. that everyone before then, every time Togami met someone new, they would comment on her hair. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then it's it's just this final moment where she doesn't even attack Shishika. She just says, it's not over, and then she goes for Togami. And, I mean, it, it's not even, like, hurtful. Like, it doesn't... He, she makes sure not to hurt any part of her body, but it's it's that action. It's right, no, but that. it's... Yeah. Which sends Shichika into like a spiral of rage. And... Right, but it's also what's interesting is Shichika doesn't get that Nanami's actually trying to do her a service. For those of you playing along at home, you remember in episode one, when we first see Togame, we see uh, Yatsuri Musune, Mutsune kill her father, and her hair turns shock white and becomes really long. Yes, it does. Along um... with the eye. Like she gains those two things at this time, and so cutting off her hair. Is sort of a is is Nanami is attempting to cause change in both of them. I do like that interpretation. Yeah, I mean, the way I saw it was Nanami not just trying to kill. Um, she wasn't even trying to kill uh, Kagame. It was more just about inciting anger in Shichika. But it was also I kind of feel like that exact moment is where things turn. You, we talked about uh, a little bit about how. Katana Gotari goes through these turning points. Episode 4 was kind of that shift. It's at that point where the music plays and it's that sense of shock that you realize that this is kind of the end of the road where Katana Gotari like, kind of stops being this adventurous, kind of episodic story and starts kind of closing into a main arc. And I think that's, that's fascinating because I literally thought from episode 4 that... Um, Based on how things were going, Nanami would be the uh, challenger. She would be the episode 12 right. antagonist. But for her to be killed off so quickly in episode 7 really means that there are still four more, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There are five more challengers. The story can, you hear, can you hear my smile because <laughs> I was like episode 12, episode 12, episode 12? Episode 12 is a great one. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's just, it's that mark where you realize things are getting real and this is not where things necessarily end. Um, but there definitely, there's a shift in tone, which is, it's such a good way to make that shift. I don't think they could have gone about a better way of uh, making that kind of message by letting Shichika fight and kill her, his own sister. Well, I think the other thing that's really important is this episode is that those particular interactions and the fact that she says it, it has that that she forces Shichika to examine his own weakness. So he spends he has a training montage where he alters his Shichika Hachirets. Right, that was 50, I don't know. 50, I don't know. 40 different combinations. <laughs> right. I don't remember whether like I think it was just a I think it was a ploy that she was sort of leading him on because i don't think the improvement made it he thinks it made a huge difference but in the end i don't think it actually made a huge difference i'm trying to remember um yeah i don't remember it being like a big thing because of course they the way he defeated her at first using the shishka hachiretsu was after it became really dark right yeah. whereas uh, when he actually kills her like the details of how he achieves that i don't think was necessarily that related to his his whole training and right. fixing his uh, Shichika Hachiretsu. But so this episode, you need to go back and restart things. And this, and actually it's funny because it, it took me forever to figure this one out. 
and it's sad because I watched the show twice and written about it three times. And it was <laughs> Min, being on a podcast with Min, that made the difference. So once again, we bring up Pakimono Gatari and how Nisio Isin basically uses a whole bunch of women to help Araragi, Araragi, I started <laughs> to be a man, to sort of teach him the values of manliness. And then in Nisei Monogatari, it teaches him how to, how to sort of be a real person and stand up for what he believes in and, and so on and so forth. Each episode, and the last four episodes are like double super this, each episode is actually teaching Shichika something. And it's this episode that makes it apparent. Because when he's beating the crap out of people relatively easily, you know, like in episode two or episode three, mm-hmm. it's hard for you to see, you assume that all of his personal growth has to do with Togame um, because of all their conversations. But episodes six, seven, and eight to some extent, because eight helps him crystallize the stuff he comes up with in episode seven, demonstrate how he's actually learning something from each of the deviant blades. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what makes seven so great is that in essence it's not really it doesn't have anything to do with shichika's training um i think as you bring up it it really has to do with nanami letting down her guard and allowing herself to be killed in a way and those last few minutes i mean she obviously fights very very hard but in in those what last two to three minutes where she has her monologue and you kind of see things from her perspective you realize she just she just wants to be erased by him. That's really her wish. And I, as much as I have confidence in Shichika's abilities, I think it's really Nanami's last minutes that really show us that she lets down her guard. She allows herself to be killed in a way. And regardless, if she had not done that, she would have easily beaten uh, Shichika. And, but she doesn't because she just she so desires that kind of end. She knows it's inevitable, but she just wants it to be done and over with now, um, right. which is really tragic. I mean, it's tragic. It's really incredible um, because as much as we've seen things from Togame and Shichika's perspective, it's within those few key moments that Nanami's life and her perspective on how she really views people and how she views herself is what's so fascinating to me. Well, um, also, also she he she makes him make a choice, and that's the reason why they have a fight after Beta is recovered, because all of his fighting with the Kleshablinger, the Bears of the Kleshablingers. Sorry, that's that's the sorry. problem I have with the subtitle in the um, in the Blu-ray. Um, and if we have a little bit of time in the podcast, I can get to that with the Deviant yeah, Blades. Well, yeah, why don't you? Yeah. Oh, so the so the blue so the Blu-ray is pretty amazing, and they did this great thing where they gave whoever translated Togame went to really big pains to make her language sound ridiculous. Like, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I've only seen the first two episodes on the Blu-ray, which, by the way, is licensed in America by NIS America, where she calls herself a strategist. Strategy, yes, strategy, yes, strategist, yes. Yeah, because she, she creates strategies, stratagems. Right, she makes up words and she uses really flowery language, and and the translation does a really good job of like bringing home the fact that like Shichika says, you know, would say tree, and she would say like oak arbor dressed in, you know, blah blah. So, but they made a mistake in that they call the the deviant blades the twelve master clash craft. Clesher bringers? What? <laughs> Clash, yes, wait, Clesher bringers? Clesher bringers. Huh. 
That's okay. an interesting translation. <laughs> um, and we'll get into this episode eight by call, by not calling them deviant blades. It like ruins episode the episodes eight through twelve, kind of, mm. because like you assume that they're swords, but like they keep saying blade, 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 blade. And then when when Yoroi shows up and you're like, it's not really a blade. You're like, oh, but it's a clash of ringers. Oh, so doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, you know, and that's the reason why when you know they have that exchange. I like, guess that episode three. What's the pirate episode? Uh, Oh, that's five. In five, when he's like, but you said it was a sword. And she's like, no, no, it's a suit of armor. And he's like, okay. In the fans' translation where they're just blade, sword, blade, 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 blade. And he's like, but that's not a blade. Like, it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know that about the uh, English license. So Yeah, that is you know. interesting. Speaking of Deviant Blades, I do like how the seventh episode isn't necessarily really about the Deviant Blade and how it affects Nanami as it is about Nanami's perspective right. herself. It's one of those few episodes. There is an upcoming one that kind of... But it marks, well, the previous, the rest of the episodes work under that sort of idea. Yes. Um, where the holder is just as important as the blade itself. And that was just true for uh, Tsuruga Meisai, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, a lot of people consider that episode, episode three, to be like a really big turning point because it is, I think, the first really good episode of the show. I, I really liked episode two, but like I'm weird. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say two is bad, but I, I did... Well, I'm one of the people who was, like, really skeptical about the show until episode 7. And oh, episode yeah. 7, of course, is the first episode of the second half of the series when, as you said, Natasha, like, things take a turn here where the story starts converging. Still kind of slowly at this point, but yeah, as you said, you can see the way things are flowing together for what ends up being the big finish. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, when when I first watched episode seven, I mean, we as the preview scene in episode six showed, there was going to be an obvious battle. Um, I did not expect Nanami to be killed off. Um, right. Although I, it is funny in the episode six at the preview, it does explicitly say uh, Shichika will have to kill his sister, his sister. in the next episode. <laughs> I think it was because of episode. Four that I just right. stopped believing whatever they said all Right, they kind of lost all cre all credibility. I was like, I'm not believing this. No, just I, I have to watch this to see for myself. But um, I mean, it's just those last five to ten minutes are so powerful. Um, I can't really even put into words how much emotional resonance I had with them. But um, really great climax, really good shift in tone. That was well, also remember he loses back to back in two episodes. Oh that yeah, was, he does. That really sat stuck in my craw, sort of crosswise, because I really liked that he was until episode six. Uh, I put Chichika in the sort of Kenshin category. That he was kind of like a little bit out of it, a little bit sort of backwards and country bumpkin-ish. But like you know, you get him in a fight and he just beats the shit out of everyone. Uh, I don't know about your language requirements on this podcast. Sorry, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but you know, so episode six and seven, you back to back defeats. And so now all of a sudden your sort of faith in Shichika as invincible has been broken. And instead of immediately restoring it by going to episode seven and having him win an easy victory, they sort of drive home his lack or vulnerability. That kind of arc or his, his entire narrative takes a step in episode eight where he kind of 
realizes his own individuality, which I think, I think episode eight is a great kind of, it, it's a good way of coming back to the story after episode seven's dramatic and very uh, intense moments. Right. Well, yeah. it's time to process. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, definitely. I, I do remember that, you know, what back when I was watching it for the first time, I had no idea what was coming after episode seven, but I remember as like, probably all of us being very touched and very moved by the whole last part of this episode and yeah and as you say it in episode eight we kind of get a reaffirmation that all of these episodes and adventures are kind of building up to something uh, but i i do remember that i didn't quite appreciate episode eight that much the first time but the second time watching it knowing what's going on i i, I remember really liking it so i guess I mean, I feel like now's a pretty good time to move on to episode eight. But uh, Jero, uh, do you have any thoughts about <laughs> episode seven? That uh, uh, yeah, no, I feel like... no, nothing too much to add. I, I've been uh, I've been content with just listening to you all uh, talk about the the big points of the episode. But I really like the the visual style things that they did the the start of the episode, and also like the bullet hell was fun. Kind of taking what is like a dramatic moment of the nami just killing all these dudes and making it to a fun <laughs> video game and even the visual novel stuff was kind of fun and i'm one of those that think episode three was the first good episode of the series uh maybe you feel similarly men but episode seven is definitely a signature episode of the series it's the one that when people finish the whole show as we're talking about these episodes as they re-air on tv it's the one that everybody will go back to and remember for many different ways, uh, both uh, both in a positive light, just in terms of execution of the episode, and also in the dramatic tone and the shift in tone of the series thereafter. Yeah, uh, that's you, I agree with everything you said, I, and I think we've yeah talked plenty about just all the. Um interesting things with Nanami in that one so um, yeah any final thoughts from uh, our guests about the episodes? I think I I do like the way episode 7 really ends with them kind of they they end with that really nice music it's kind of calming um, and it, 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 it doesn't end on like such a high moment it ends kind of calmly it just kind of rolls back into rhythm which is continued in episode 8 when uh, they fight the new next interesting deviant blade, which is not a blade but actually a robot, <laughs> uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, but I do like. I think that episode eight was kind of that. I would say shift once again, where you realize the blades aren't just becoming blades as they're becoming completely and entirely different things. Um, and episode eight is just the start of that wacky transition. Yeah, I've actually found it interesting that uh, we don't get a real blade in the traditional sense since episode uh, four. Because episode five was the armor, six was like a big hulking thing of rock that kind of looked like a blade. Mm-hmm. Seven, we get this dagger-looking thing, which 
isn't really used as a blade weapon, and eight, as you said, we get a robot. But with eight, I thought one of the most significant parts in the early part of the episode was that we get introduced formally to Princess Hite and Emon Zaimon, who we've seen both of them for a few episodes now, but kind of in the shadows, uh, talking to each other about uh, following Togame's plans. But now Togame and Shichika have returned to her home in Owari, where Hite also resides. And, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, they also they come to uh, visit her. Uh, I thought it was actually a pretty fun scene when uh, Togame visits Hite and, you know, they're sitting together and Hite just bursts out laughing at her hair and she will not, like, stop <laughs> at just making fun of her at that moment. I mean, it's it's interesting because, like you say, the show has kind of been building her up as this kind of creepy, manipulative, in-the-shadows kind of character. So when, when you have a, like, blatant confrontation between the two that doesn't even result in a fight you're just at first I was really confused I was like are, are they gonna fight you know like <laughs> what's going on but it turns out like they're pretty they know each other pretty well they're kind of rivals but they help each other at the same time so I did like that um, kind of addition of information I do really like Tay with her fan not gonna lie that was, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's just really cool to see in future episodes too well she also wears super anachronistic clothing as well like she's fashionable and fabulous and just as manipulative as um, as Togame if not more so and this is the part where Natasha is stepping on my toe <laughs> I, I do like that she kind of serves as a foil to Togame. Like, you know, as Patches mentions, he Togame kind of wears these short skirt kind of adventurous clothing. She even goes out and does things herself. She recruits Shichika, but, you know, she's the one ultimately who travels with him. Whereas um, Hitei orders Emon Zeman to do everything. She doesn't actually travel with him. She doesn't go with him there. She just kind of sits in her room and plans and is becomes more fabulous by the minute. <laughs> so I think that's a really interesting kind of contrast between the two characters. Well, let me can I let me ask a question really briefly. J. Rao, are you um, watching the show? Weekly, have you finished it or are you watching the Tamina and you haven't finished it yet? I'm rewatching the Blu rays that I have as oh, okay. duties recordings. Oh, okay. So there's no one who's brand new to it because I was going to ask what those people right. thought of Emma and Simon. Because, like, he's so fantastic, but sort of knowing his story, like, ruins him a little bit. Um, oh, um, I just have one question as well. For those of you who are watching uh, the re air, was there a second opening or do they stick with the first opening? Because I know episode 8 is the first episode where they show the second opening um, by Ali Project, which uh, is Ali Project is kind of interesting. And it, it, it's, like I say, it continues on that shift. And I think if you are not watching the re-air, you'll probably know that there is a second opening going on. Um, and it's just the entire song... The visuals, it, it's just a completely different um, mm -hmm. song and tone. Um, its I would say one word to describe it would be ominous. Um, yeah, I do remember that second opening kind of catching me off guard. It kind of builds up as like Emon Zaiman as like the big rival to Shichika. Yes. You see them kind of facing off and on the rooftop of some major yeah. place. Yeah. 
Um, it also establishes the next three to four opponents. Um, but I think, like you say, it definitely emphasizes that Emon Zayman is, is going to be a pretty big player later on. <laughs> um, but I think the one big thing is just how different it is from the first opening, which is adventurous, it's happy, it's pumps you up a little bit, and then you have this opening, which is just like, you know, shit's going down. <laughs> like, you better be ready. <laughs> I'll have to check that out and put it in. On another note about the music, the full version of the new ending by Pico came out just after we recorded the last podcast, so I'll put that at the end of this recording. Ooh. Yeah, and actually the full opening is available oh. as well. Yeah, just they didn't release the single, but I think somebody ripped it off the radio or something. Oh, but it's, oh yeah. yeah the, the full version of that song is available. So, And I believe they did not use two different openings for this, for the re-airing. Also, they didn't use 12 different endings for the yeah. re-airing either, which uh, I, I think, you know, maybe that, that probably lost a little bit something because I did like having... Different, different endings, endings. Yeah. yeah and i think uh, i think nanami's voice actor did the ending song for episode seven i'm not sure um i think one thing i really enjoyed about the 12 different endings was that it changed throughout the year so every month had a different ending and since katana gatari's 12 episodes it's been going on for a year so it like, starts off in the spring and then you know by like third or fourth episode you have fall and then, you know, winter, and it, it, I think that's kind of uh, nifty. So I like that, definitely. But I think, of course, you wouldn't really, it wouldn't have that much of an effect if you were to air it week after week, of course. Right. So I do kind of respect that decision to make it one, only one ending song. But it, it like I said, I mean, um, it, it was fun being able to listen to a different song by the end of every episode. Yeah. Right. The I just I also remember that each episode when you watched it because I watched it, I guess in 2010 one episode at a time and like it was like a meal like I was sort of done I I couldn't get more like Katana Atari in like like I would just think about it for a week and then I'd be like okay I'm good good <laughs> down but yeah uh, yeah back to the episode it's, so Togami meets up with um, Hite and Hite kind of tells her that at the about the location of Shikizaki Kiki's old shop at the bottom of some old lake that's become a disaster area kind of like the area in episode 2 and she sends uh, Emon Zaiman there to guide them and they go and see this place you know filled with junk and stuff and this robot protecting it which uh, yeah, that's uh, turns out that's the next blade called Bito Kanzashi, a uh, four-armed, four-legged robot that uh, walks around protecting that Shikizaki Kiki's old shop, and yeah, so, robot. <laughs> right. And actually, sorry, l- let me rewind a little bit. Before the robot, we see Togami kind of point to this instrument or. Uh, uh, something behind Hite in her room, which looks like <laughs> two pistols that are, you know, you see that one's a revolver and one looks like a, uh, some sort of old Luger and they're just uh, yeah, there. Hey man, that's and... just decoration. Right. <laughs> well, then so, she berates best... Shichika for missing it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she got no, she she got pauses and turns. He's like, ah,、uh, something something weird. And then he just kind of walks away. And then、uh, Hitei at the very end is just like, yep, I'm pretty ashamed of you, Shika. You didn't notice about these two beauties, <laughs> but yeah.、Um, Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the interesting thing: since we're watching it again, we all know what's you know what the deal is. But at the same time, if we were kind of careful when we were watching it the first time, we would recognize that in the first episode we see、oh, the silhouette, I mean,、um, silu- yeah, silhouette、I、of every single watched... blade. Do we assume that Togame knows this and she just doesn't recognize、yeah. it? Well, I don't think Togame would know, right? Yeah, I don't think she knew either. I mean, I think what she does know is how these blades work, but she doesn't necessarily recognize the image. And that's just the way I understood it. But,、um, but yeah, I mean, I the thing is, I had watched Katana Katari on a kind of uneven span of time. Like the first five to six episodes, I watched like three weeks in between,、um, and then seven through twelve grew. Um, was like over a month or and a half. Because we kept prodding、uh, you. The way、bad. the show is done is it, it, it aired every <laughs> it aired every month, and、um, so obviously that first episode was what seven almost more than half a year ago.、Um, right. So it was for me and for probably others who who watched it、uh, when it aired. It. Didn't really linger in their minds. Like you probably forgot that you know the twelfth silhouette or whatever.、Uh, right, the, the silhouettes pass by only maybe a second each. I, it's not really meant to be remembered. Yeah. So you know when when they showed that scene, I was just like, okay, I guess blades or whatever. I mean guns, you know, whatever that looks cool.、Um, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that I think about it, I was just like, oh, now I remember. So. I guess it would be interesting to see how if people sort of remember that because through the year because for them it's only been like what a month and a half since the first episode、right. aired. Whereas for people who watched it monthly, it was like half a year ago. So、uh, Tasha, maybe if some... you had been watching it by month, would you be finished with the show? Um, let's see. I started it. I don't know. I don't remember when I started. I think I started in July. So、uh, I I would probably. On my way, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so you'd, you'd be you'd be despairing about waiting for an entire month for episode twelve. Oh、yes. my god, <laughs> you'd be losing be your sh- you'd be losing your shit. <laughs> I would. I don't know how you guys did it because、um, I watched episode twelve right after episode eleven.、Mm. Yeah, I actually watched episode one on in July. So、um, yeah, <laughs> that would have been a tough month for me. But luckily, people who are rewatching or watching the re-air have the convenience of one week. Even then, I mean, I would still probably die in a week. I I literally had to watch the twelfth episode after the eleventh,、mm-hmm. um, despite Min telling me to savor episode eleven <laughs> and <laughs> wait, which really didn't、uh, go to plan. Yeah, we can talk about that in a in the future. But yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> but, so, but yeah. So getting back,、uh, I guess we face this. We see this robot which、uh, walks around, and basically Togami figures out based on her observations of it moving around all of its attacks, and the fact that it turns out it's solar powered because every once in a while she sees it just standing out in the sun, and she uses that 
against it by having Shichika just fight it until it runs out of energy. I thought it was kind of funny that, uh, well, first of all, like earlier in that episode, there was this whole romantic moment between them when uh, they're following Emon Zaimon and she's she's clearly tired from walking and he wants to carry her. And, uh, and then it follows up later when she says like, you won't be getting any sleep tonight. And then she's like, Okay, you got to read all this and memorize all the uh, all the abilities of the robot. You, right. you know, un- you're not sleeping until you memorize all that. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, the the show kind of takes this romantic comedy kind of tone, um, and it's just it's really cute. Uh, which it's it's much needed after episode seven. <laughs> um, it just episode eight is really it it functions as a breather. Uh, which right. continues in episode nine, but it also functions as this really awesome um, introspection into Shich- Shichika's narrative and how far he's come in seven, eight episodes. Well, I also does he has a moment with the with Beta where like he both acknowledges it as a, as a weapon, as a fellow weapon, but also is aware that he's not a tool anymore. Yes, right? at the very end, he's like. He's like, you were great, but you're just a sword. You're just a sword. So, like, sword to sword, you're okay, but like, I'm now no longer just a sword, right? Isn't that basically what he says? Yeah, yes. exactly. Actually, that, he, and then he specifically says, "You are like what I was six months ago." Yes, yes. That, As he puts it in the box. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty fascinating. Like, I didn't really pay much attention to that the first time I was watching it. The second time, you know, I'm starting to see the significance of this episode right and then the the this time discussing it the thing is that that change actually happened in episode seven and he we use episode eight is actually a lot about additional story elements because I, you you have in your the show notes the umigami stuff happened in this episode too umi hitehime so the the shichika togami story is mostly about shichika sort of coming around to being like his own human being and what that means and he seems a little bit lighter on his feet. Like, you can tell that he's changed a little bit in a good way. Yeah, and I think what's really fascinating is that we, we are aware of these changes. We, we see how he grows. But what's the, the importance of episode 8 is him being self-aware of how he's changed. We obviously, I mean, even Nanami acknowledged it back in episode 7. Togami is aware of it. But... It's ultimately when um, Shichika recognizes what he is that it makes that that change all the more powerful and significant, which is really great because um, I think one of the best parts about the fight is that he's talking while he's fighting the robot. He's like, wow, I have my own will to live. I I can choose who I want to be and what I want to do. And... All of that comes from the strength of uh, me relying on you uh, as he speaks to uh, Togame. And it just it, it really emphasizes this core that this core relationship between Togame and Shichika. He relies on her, she relies on him. And I mean, it's subverted in a way because we usually thought, you know, Shichika was the brawn um, and Togame was the brains, kind of like that image. But now we kind of see this shift as. Shichika becomes his own human being. Like obviously, he's not the most intelligent person. But right, he's he, still the brawn and she's still the brain. But brain. there's more there's, to that. They kind of rub off on each other. I would say, kind of that stubbornness, that passion, and that humanity is. And it's just really good to see how Shichika becomes 
self-aware and realizes who and what he is. Most importantly, what rather than just who. Mm-hmm. No, and think that in terms of animation, this fight was one of the better ones so far we've seen. At the, oh uh, yeah, like the, the one in episode three was really good, um, and yeah, this one really uh, just him and the robot fighting. It, you know, it does all sorts of crazy stuff. Flies. Well, it also it sort of ranged across the whole episode too. Yeah, it, it did. felt like there was more combat in this episode than previous episodes. And but also again, we had the we had other fights. Mm-hmm. I do think what's interesting is how Katana Gatari starts off as you know this this kind of short transition between dialogue and then into combat. But as the episodes progress, it become they be, they become intermingled. Like you have conversations during battle, you have key points of character development during battle. Whereas like in the first couple of episodes, episode one and two, it was more just of you know build up, build up, build up, melee uh, fighting. And then resolution through more dialogue. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's like um, it builds a formula in the first few episodes. It's a lot of talking and then duel at the end. You know, awesome fight. Well, depends on the case. but And then as it goes, it starts breaking its own rules and starts kind of, yeah, as you said, merging the fight with the talking and and well as we'll see in the end like the whole formula kind of breaks down towards the end well so I, i'm not gonna say it. i have so much to say about <laughs> episode 12 and i'm not gonna say it um okay what what i what i think is what i on the, my, i guess what i'm saying on the flip side is that um as Shichika becomes more worldly and the situation becomes more dire the episodes become more organic that there's definitely a very didactic flavored episodes two one two and three and it's not just all exposition togami is sort of explaining to shichika how the world works and as he sort of starts to learn those things she doesn't need to spend as much time explaining to him you can talk a lot about how much that framework is busted in episode nine but that's for the next podcast um but i but what what here is interesting is that that again you get only that tiny scene with them planning the final beta plan together because I think they spent time with Itehime, they hang out with Emma and Zaimon, and you see them sort of running around together. But, you know, versus let's say episode, you know, episode two, we spent most of the episode just talking to each other. Episode five, they spent a lot of the episode talking to each other. Right. Um, and so the, the formula's already started to break down a little bit in that regard. Yeah. I'd also, uh, you know, before we forget, I want to mention about Emon Zaiman. He has kind of a big reveal in this episode. Uh, yeah. You know, first of all, we again get formally introduced to him with Princess Hite. They seem to have, well, he seems to be kind of an M and he's she's an S, something like that, because she keeps verbally abusing him and he smiles all the time. He seems to enjoy it. But he has to face a one of the Maniwa Ninja. A maniwa umigame, which means um, sea turtle. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, he has the. Uh, ty- he's a first of all very like uh, conceited or very arrogant dude. He his uh, you know he's a big braggart, and he he has the nickname umigame, the long lived. Which it's kind of funny because Emonzaiman reveals to him that he is all he was a ninja of the Aioi Corps which uh, was apparently wiped out 170 years ago during the Sengoku period, which um, yeah. 
I mean, I wasn't quite sure if it was we were meant to interpret that as that he had survived from then until now, as in he's over 170 years old, because of course, if the Ayu Corps didn't exist after 170 years ago, like <laughs> he has to have existed back then, or is he a descendant or what? But yeah. I, I get the feeling that he's from that era, uh, a much more violent time in Japan, and he is uh, just, that's why he's such a badass fighter who can just, again, wipe the floor with Umigame. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you point that out, because uh, something I failed to explore and would like to explore later on, if I ever get the chance to rewatch the show, is the historical aspects. They're, they're scattered throughout the, the show, but as you've mentioned, there are like key fights here, and I mean, maybe if I were more knowledgeable in Japanese history, I'd probably be able to get uh, maybe some illusions out of it. You know, maybe it does have significance. I'm just unaware of what significance it has. As history kind of becomes more prevalent in the story, it's just, I feel like that's something to look out for, or just for people who are watching the re-air for the first time, or people who are uh, going back to rewatch the show. I know that Nasiusen does have a particular fascination with history, Japanese history, so, um, yeah. There is one thing that Imon Zaimon says in the episode about not caring about what happened 100 oh, years it? ago that could affect the answer to Min's question, because if he is that old, then he was a part of it, but you, you could think that maybe it was so long ago that he's he's lost interest in it or something, or if he's a descendant, that it's just something he wasn't familiar with because, you know, not his time. But he talks yeah. out of both sides of his mouth because he then, like, they use it. They use a technique on him. Is it in this one or is it in the next episode where they use a technique on him? And he's like, yes, only you stole that technique from the ninja. Here's its actual form. I think that's next episode. Mm, okay. I actually don't remember. I, I remember in this one he, like, teleports basically in front of yeah. him. And, yes. and avoids all his attacks before just stabbing him in the back at one point. So, like, he's like, I don't really care. Like, I'm no longer a ninja. It doesn't really matter. But here are all my ninpo that are better than yours. <laughs> and the thing is, he follows the ninja's code so strictly. Like, he he's so serious. I think even Hitei mentions that he's just, like, such a drag. Because he just does everything she says and doesn't really do much anything else. So, he obviously follows closely to his heritage despite him saying he doesn't care i mean maybe he just doesn't care about that one point in history but it's very much a part of his identity um and it, it clearly shows through his actions well he acts as a mirror to toga to, to to shichiga because he also lives to serve yes right. and i think going back to episode eight i think i think i actually talked about this in my post a little bit but um what I really like is how in episode eight they kind of cut this the story into kind of two progressing narratives. There's the deviant blades as they become more lesser blades and more something else, um, and then there's the whole idea of what it means to be a blade as well as a human being through Shichika's narrative and how important the relationship between a sword and its user is, and. I think it was at this point where I realized that the relationship between a sword and its user and the reason why Togami and Shichika have won is because 
the relationship that they share is so strong compared as compared to uh, a deviant blade and its owner. Um, and the reason for that is highly due to uh, um, Shichika's development as less as a of a blade and more of a human, which I think is really fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of comes the clear moments in um, episode eight where he recognizes that because the blade here isn't just a blade. It's also its own user. But despite that, it fails to be um, Shichika. And the reason for that is because Shichika has uh, Togami to rely on. So it's that kind of relationship between a user and the blade that's really important as much as it is about the blade becoming more human or a user itself. If that makes sense. Yeah, that I think that makes makes sense. Oh, yeah. On that, I I think uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, with when they uh, when he finally well it finally loses because it runs out of power, and Shichika looks down at it and there's a tear coming out of its eye. But then you know it suddenly starts raining. I thought that oh, was a yeah. pretty, oh that was also really cool. Yeah, nice touch there. And it looks up to the sunlight in this kind of final moment. It's just uh, really, really good direction <laughs> there. Um, yeah, there's a bit of a, a sense of loss. I think that this thing was defeated. That it's it was serving its master for centuries, basically its dead master, just walking around protecting the area. And Shichika finally came and defeated it. And now it's. I think what's interesting, I don't know, maybe it's just because Katana Gatari takes root in a fictional world, is the idea that this is a very old kind of century. This is not modern, you know, day kind of time. But despite that, the fact that he was able to come up with the ability to... Um, the, the idea of re- solar-powered batteries, like, you know... <laughs> It's just, it's so bizarre, and it doesn't really hit you until later on when you realize, oh, right. but, you know, that's, it, I thought that was really cool. Um, at first, I was really confused. I was like, is yeah, that like, you know? Right, because, I mean, there's fantasy, plenty of fantasy, but then all of a sudden, this is kind of science fiction, right? So, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have self-functioning robots, like, not even, like, right. the wooden robots you would expect to see in, like, this kind of dynasty area, but, like, you know self-functioning robots that are solar powered i mean <laughs> heck we heck can't even probably come up with that even today so i thought that was pretty cool yeah it also starts it things get weirder before they get even weirder oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, that's a broad statement and it makes no sense maybe at this point but yeah it just the, the way the deviant blades start to become just very strange creations is just really cool to see and how that parallels with uh, Shichika's development as he becomes more uh, conscious of who he is and his relationship become- with um, Togami kind of becomes stronger by episode. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've gone on for quite a bit on this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, any uh, any final thoughts on episode 8? Uh, uh, Jero? Let's see. In terms of the the opponent for this week, it sort of felt like episode five and uh episode i'm trying to think of the other one kind of like two where or or six excuse me where it was kind of for me it was 
just another enemy, but everything surrounding it and the action part was of that fight was good too. It was really interesting that Tagami was the one that really figured out everything about uh, Bito Kanzashi, even though there was m one moment where Iman Saimon and Hite say Shichiko can figure out what the swords are, so they probably figured it out. They just assumed that he was the one that was going to figure it out, but uh, it didn't leave as much of a, a lasting impression on me. The uh, the Umigami stuff, kind of. The, the, uh, the Maniwa, just another guy that died. <laughs> but uh, it was great to see more of Hite and Iman Saimon this episode. I think eight's a really good breather episode. Um, it's oh, got yeah. good feels. Um, Shichika pretty handily defeats his his charge, and it sits between a bunch of very weird Shichika episodes. So, like, eight's good, it's good, feel-good place, nine, and from now on, the series is taking its gloves off. And I think that's the other thing that's really cool about Emlyn Zymon on the move, is that it's, is it adds the last, the episode seven changes the narrative tone, episode eight puts some narrative urgency into the story. Oh yeah, definitely. Like you feel like things are starting to close in and become a big, the whole, you know, other story of Emlyn Zaman killing off Monty is slowly starting to blend in with uh, Shishka and Tadami's story. Not yet, but you feel that. And the second opening does definitely emphasize that foreshadowing. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, you guys have put into words so many, you know, thoughts that been just like floating in my head so, <laughs> it's definitely um yeah obviously i think not quite as memorable as seven but that ending when he fights the robot and he's talking about who he has become and how the robot is not is not up to him anymore it's not or it's not he can defeat it now because he's become human i think that really is uh, staying with me after my rewatch of episode eight. Yeah, I think it's because episode seven is just so powerful that you kind of under or you <laughs> just really don't see how interesting episode eight is until you kind of go back and you look at it and you're like, oh wow, this really had some good points. Like as Patrick said, it's a great breather episode, um, and episode nine is where things take an interesting <laughs> route, but. Um, We'll save that for next week, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us, um, Natasha. Thank you for coming again. Thank you for having me. It's and, always uh, a pleasure. And uh, yeah, thank you. I I'd love to. Uh, I think have you back for you know maybe one or two more of these. Well, we're doing one or two more or two more. So yeah, yeah definitely. It, it's good fun and uh, patches as well. It's uh, it was great having you here. Well, thanks. And, and again, I think like now I'm busy thinking it was great to just have you in my Katana Gatari space because now I'm thinking about how Madaka Box is also about uh, <laughs> character meeting a bunch of people and changing. So like this was a thing that like fell into place just because I was hanging out with you. So I got definitely got something out of this. By the way, I started rereading re Madaka Box because I had read the first 30 some chapters and I cannot keep my eyes open. <laughs> oh really? I tried to, and I couldn't do it. It's I mean, it's not terribly interesting, but it's no. like it's Shonen Jump. Like it's 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 Eastin does Shonen Jump. So like 
Yeah. Like even the shokugeki, oh, what is it called? The shokugeki, no soma, cooking, mm-hmm. <laughs> shounen manga is more interesting. And I mean, well, I don't even know how to cook, so. It is certainly interesting uh, just seeing Nisio's uh, works kind of like he loves using haircuts as uh, for like the mm-hmm. different character oh, yeah. stuff. And we got like Madaka and Nanami are basically have the same powers and. There are other powers that go like that sh- shared between characters in Madaka Box and and Ahoge, Ahoge for everyone. Oh yeah, yeah, he loves. Yeah, every main character has to have one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and um, well, yeah, Jero, thanks again for uh, you know producing this and uh, yeah, sure coming again. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next week or a couple weeks from now. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See you.